0: You're listening to Seeing and Believing, a film and television podcast that searches for the sacred on screen.
1: I'm Wade Bearden. And I'm Kevin McClendon. And, Wade, you can't see me right now, but I've got a lamp cunningly positioned just so
0: over my head, so I have a little halo right now. Well, Kevin, i got to say, you can't see this right now, but I'm actually praying for your salvation. You know, I
1: somehow that's not much of a surprise, though I have to say I am impressed that you can both talk out loud and pray
0: silently at the same time. That's a good party trick. <laughs> Listeners, today we're reviewing the religiously charged horror film from Rose Glass, Saint Maud*. Plus, we've got our usual weekly recommendations for you
1: here on episode 291 of Seeing and Believing. Wade, do you want to engage in some Gregorian chant with me to lead us into the episode? How about I give you a good
0: kumbaya?
1: Dear God, here is Amanda. Well, you know that. Thank you for bringing us together, Lord. And thank you for this meal, which we gratefully receive. Bless Amanda's body, which is hurting now. It has done so many wonderful things. And bless her mind, which is shrouded in darkness. And reach out to her like you did to me.
0: Amen. Yes, listeners, we are here with episode 291. I gotta say, Kevin, even though we're talking about Saint Maud, it still feels a little weird because we're saying, oh, I'll pray for your salvation. Oh, I have a halo. It just feels a little odd to me. The young child who grew up in a very conservative church in me uh, is worried about saying those things. (laughs) (laughs) Are you
1: glancing skyward, worried about any storm clouds gathering above?
0: Oh, man. It has been raining every day for weeks in Houston. And I am. Yeah. So there probably are storm clouds above me. So who knows? Listeners, we're going to hop into our review of St. Maude here in a bit. But I want to take an opportunity and just talk about our Patreon campaign. And specifically, Kevin, we have a new donor this week at the $10 level.
1: Yeah, we're really excited. Thanks so much to Lindsey Dunn for becoming a patron this week It. Uh, we say this all the time, but it really does help us, you know, keep the keep the show going. And it's always really nice to see somebody offer up their their hard-earned cash to throw a little bit of that our way. And Lindsay actually pledged at the, like you said, the $10 a month level that on our uh, website, patreon.com forward slash seeing underscore believing underscore podcast. The $10 a month tier is titled an offer you can't refuse. And this is that level, Wade, where she can pick, once per year, one movie for us to review on the air. So, you know, that's a a pretty good level. I I wonder if uh, the the fact that we did Night of the Hunter a few weeks ago maybe tipped the scales for her a little bit. That'd be interesting to hear.
0: Yeah, no, I'm interested in hearing about that and also uh, getting that film from Lindsay and reviewing it on the show. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, Kevin... All this has got me thinking. Uh, what could someone buy not for $5 but but what could someone buy for $10?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, so $10 is obviously that's pretty high end. So mm-hmm. that would buy you a special device that would automatically alert you when the avocados in your fridge are about to go bad. It mm. it's uh, you know, this very loud alarm and then a an overbearing masculine drill sergeant voice alerts you to the fact that you need to use those avocados because they're
0: about to rot in the fridge. Mm. Nobody wants that. You know, it would be great if the voice just said, it's guacamole time. Maybe maybe that would just put it over the top, Kevin. I, I think for $15 a month, you could probably
1: get a version of <laughs> okay. this of this device that would let you record your own greeting. And, you know, I think it might, might be kind of nice for, for Wade Bearden to say it's guacamole time every mm-hmm. now and then when, when my avocados are getting a little long in the tooth. So, yeah. I don't know. I'd, I'd sign up for that. Oh, man.
0: I love guacamole. We love our guacamole down here in Texas. And it really is always guacamole time. So, I think that for 10 bucks. That's not bad. For 15, you get the customizable alert. Which is I, I do have, even better.
1: I do have to say that probably we should workshop that a little bit. I think something like guacamole time's fine, but I kind of like the phrase guac o'clock. Mm. It's guac o'clock. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that?
0: I I mean if you can do that for 15, that'd be amazing. <laughs> I would pay twenty for it though.
1: Oh. Avocado industry, give us a call. You, you know where to find us. <laughs> you know where to
0: find us. Also, the avocado industry, you can head on over to our Patreon campaign. We will, we will plug your avocados if you would like on the show. <laughs> Listeners, hop on over to patreon.com forward slash seeing underscore believing underscore podcast. We're going to hop into our review of Rose Glass's Saint Maud. Here's the movie's official synopsis. Maud, played by Morvid Clark, is a reclusive young nurse whose impressionable demeanor causes her to pursue a pious path of Christian devotion after an obscure trauma. Now charged with the hospice care of Amanda, played by Jennifer Ely, a retired dancer ravaged by cancer, Maud's fervent faith quickly inspires an obsessive conviction that she must save her ward's soul from eternal damnation, whatever the cost. Kevin, St. Maud is the latest in what's now become a long line of A24 horror films, especially A24 horror films with a distinctly religious bent. Given the movie's premise, this story really is right up our alley. I'm speaking mostly of the themes of spiritual obsession faith, and even evangelism gone off the rails. So, my first question to get us started is this. Does Saint Maud, in your opinion, deserve to go on the shelf with other spiritually-minded A24 classics like The Witch, Under the Skin, and Hereditary? Or does the project not live up to the standards that maybe we're used to from the studio?
1: Well, I mean, to be fair, the standard of living up to the spiritual horror of the witch is that that's a high standard. So, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> many many films can be uh excused if they don't necessarily reach those heights, right? Like I'm not going to, you know, look too get get too snooty about such things. I do think that that Saint Maud doesn't quite manage to get that high. I certainly think it's it's really interesting, and there's a lot of intriguing stuff that that Glass and uh, her star Morven Clark do with this idea of a of a you know a private care nurse who soon discovers that she's much more interested in saving souls necessarily than than just caring for the physical needs of her patients. So that's that's a really intriguing hook for for a film and I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here. I think what makes some movies like The Witch as interesting as they are is the way that um the way that Robert Eggers is really able to suggest a I don't know if ambiguity is the right word because it's not necessarily ambiguous what goes on in some of these films, but there's a, there's a suggestion that the, the question of is this character's spiritual obsession all in their head or is it actually happening isn't really the most interesting question you can be asking when you're dealing with things like spiritual obsession there's there's much more interesting things you can mine and i think movies like the witch or or even the lighthouse which i would count as a spiritual horror film Mm -hmm. as well um they the question of whether or not some of these things are literally happening or how much of it is supernatural is less interesting than okay well but what is this film's vision of spirituality what what is spiritual good and spiritual evil in the world of this film. I think that Eggers' work is fascinating to think about in that light. And I think that there's maybe a disappointing lack of that kind of, uh, that interest in, in the spiritual in this film. There's There's certainly a lot of trappings. And like I said, I think there's a lot of interest there. I think it could have done with a little bit more willingness to not pigeonhole what uh, mod in this film? Uh, like w- what is actually happening, and more explore. Well, what does spirituality mean for her? And and I think that you know there there are certainly good things about this film, but I I think that there's there there's some things left to be desired in that area.
0: No, I think that's a a pretty strong analysis. The movie didn't work for me. There are some. There are some interesting aspects to it, some themes and some ideas, but I got to the end and I felt like the story the story was lacking a bit. You have you've you've got a plot that's pretty straightforward in terms of individual becomes obsessed with a distorted spirituality and as a result takes on the mantle of of a savior, quote unquote savior, the mantle of god. And that theme is explicitly talked about at one point the character of Amanda who is suffering from cancer, she calls her my little savior. And I I I think that's I think that's a strong theme. I just didn't walk away saying to myself, wow, that was that was a new that was a new angle to the story. As I mentioned though, there is a theme or two that, that is interesting and I'll I'll get into it a little bit later but I don't know if Maud as a character is fully fleshed out. She's rather one dimensional. She's powered by some sort of trauma we don't really know what it is she's powered by that trauma and she just kind of searches for something to give her life meaning and purpose and it just so happens to be a distorted view of Christianity and things that aren't good happen. Like, that's, that's just kind of it. And so just on a personal and emotional level, there wasn't a lot of connection there. And the movie, while I guess disturbing in some ways, didn't have any of that slow burn terror. Uh, in a film like *Under the Skin*, or or even a movie that I didn't like too much, but uh, I admire in many ways, *The Lighthouse* or or *The Witch*. Uh, there's this this terror, this spiritual alienation, and uh, this one just it, it felt like a shell of those movies, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, well, I think part of it is part of the issue here is that. Uh, what's going on with Maude? It, her 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 religious beliefs are, as presented in this film, are pretty much indistinguishable from some form of mental illness. Like if if, if the uh, if the screenplay was changed so that instead of uh, talking about um, Instead of being uh, very religiously observant, if Maude were, you know, s- schizophrenic or or were suffering from some sort of uh, mental disorder that caused her to experience visions or hear voices, the film would more or less remain unchanged. It would be more or less the same movie, and I think that's, um, it, it, it's it's a minor problem. I don't think it's necessarily fatal. I I guess it sounds like i I maybe like this film a little bit more than than you did, but it does suggest a disappointing uh lack of imagination that there's there's so much that could have been done with this premise and instead it kind of just feels like well, this is a it, the the film is satisfied with the answer that this is a disturbed person who's dealing with a lot of trauma perhaps some uh some mental illness issues and that's really all there is to it. And that's just, it's not satisfying given, especially the fact that some of the, the themes of, of religious obsession of the ways that that can, of the ways that religious devotion can sometimes take on kind of the psychosexual dimension. Like those are interesting things to explore. I just don't think that the film is ends up being as interested in them as it hints at in these, in these early scenes, and that, that almost seems suggested by the fact that uh, for Maude, her she she says kind of her patron saint is Mary Magdalene, and it feels like Glass chose that uh, religious figure because Magdalene is uh, among other things uh, famous for um, being you know kind of the uh, a, one of the first. Uh, messengers of the resurrection. So she's kind of this true believer. Lots of people don't believe her. And there's also, uh, she's unjustly been saddled as kind of like, there's a a sexual element to her character uh, in tradition, not in the Bible, that is kind of in the popular imagination around her. And it seems like a more fitting saint for this particular character would be something like Teresa of Avila, who, you know, did kind of experience this ecstasy in in her religious experiences. But it seems like the film just kind of reaches for a much more uh much more widely known, uh famous religious figure and kind of is satisfied with the surface level associations that a lot of viewers will have with that. And that seems a little bit emblematic as a whole of its attitude towards religion as a whole, maybe.
0: Well and, and here's here's where I found the greatest interest in this movie and it's the idea of organized religion. In the movie, Maud is given a book of William Blake's work, and we hear her a voiceover, which is her prayer. Uh, she talks about how William Blake just had this disdain for organized religion, and claimed that it was a distortion of a true spiritual life. And what struck me about that angle is Maud's character definitely seems like an individual who has taken that route, has completely bypassed Christian community, and as a result, she expects to hear from God on her own without tradition or church leadership or church community Helping her in that in that direction, and it comes back to hurt her and so with the movie i'm I was thinking about that and then thinking about the witch and and, and perhaps even even the lighthouse of how those movies, regardless of how the directors the writers feel about organized religion, those movies seem to suggest that organized religion is actually good because at the beginning of the witch, the family is cast out of their community. And as a result of being cast out, problems come. Isolation happens in the lighthouse. This woman is Maud. here is outside of any sort of bounds of authority or friendship. And because of that, her trauma gets the best of her. And so I, I, I walked away not really knowing, and maybe this is a good thing, walked away not really knowing what this film has to say about Christianity. If it's saying, oh, well, people you know, take faith and they distort it and that's why there are problems in our world, or saying that we need, we need each other as we interpret the scriptures and interpret the Bible. It's just kind of a fascinating angle. And so for me, I enjoy just kind of pondering that. Because if you if you look at at Maude, uh, she, she has isolated herself, and and she's alone, and that ultimately hurts her. It starves her faith rather than feeding it, uh, like you would you know uh, think from from the work of William Blake. So I, I found that to be a fascinating angle.
1: The evocation of William Blake in this film is is maybe one of the things I find more interesting because. Blake's vision of spirituality is fascinating. Just the just the way that he he views organized religion and the way that uh, that he kind of repudiated one mode of spiritual experience in favor of another, and the form that his religious uh, ex, his religious ideas took is this. You know, it, it's it's very in. In one sense, it's very weird <laughs> it's a, to use to use a word it's just it's it's grand and it's it's ornate and it's uh bizarre it's there's some you know it's mystical and i kind of maybe that's why I came away from this film kind of expecting a little bit more from it because you know when you're when you're evoking Blake, you're really kind of signaling that we're you're ready to really get wild and woolly with the you know the spiritual experience here, the the religious imagery and such. And it kind of feels like that the film doesn't quite want to go in that direction. There's a point in the film where uh, a character says, "God isn't real." I, I you you do know that, right? And uh, basically uh, intimates that. Whatever expressions of spirituality uh, she had, she gave earlier, um, were were kind of just not really fully sincere. Like nobody really believes in this stuff, right? And it's hard not to feel like uh, Rose Glass and the and the film kind of agrees with this character in that moment, and that that's not ne- not necessarily an invalid tack for a film to take, but it just seems like for most of its running time, the film is really trying to go in the opposite direction by suggesting that maybe there is something to Maud's uh, experience of God. As warped as it is, there's something real and uh, literal happening there. And it, it's just disappointing to see the film pull back on that, either because it uh, it was it, it's, it sees it as a twist or because it simply lacks the courage to really lend any credence to that sort of religious belief.
0: Mm -hmm. And there's this sort of fascinating line where Maude talks about taking care of the dead, the dying mopping up after them. And she says, it's nothing compared to saving quote unquote, saving a soul. And, it's one of those, it's in that section of the movie where I feel like the film kind of tips its hand as well, where it's, oh, well, why why does it, why is religion so concerned with conversion and not necessarily concerned with, you know, these other issues? And I think that's a valid point that we all need to ask ourselves. What, you know, what type of faith is our faith? Is it one that serves widows and orphans or is it one that's just trying to help people escape earth but the film never delves into that other than this sort of quick comment and it goes back to the almost ambiguity you talked about in that the film the film doesn't wade into the complexities of of what's happening here and there are some fascinating angles and shots the, the character of amanda she was a choreographer, uh, a famous, uh, I guess, dance instructor. She perhaps even did some dancing, and now her spinal cord has, cord has cancer all over it. So it, obviously, the film's kind of connecting those two things together in a way, and we get some, we get some uh, hand movements. Uh, we get uh, sort of this physicality as these characters are doing therapy, and I. I found it to be sort of sort of fascinating. Later, we get uh, basically sex is connected to CPR, and and I'm I'm interested in what the movie is saying about uh, physicality and spirituality and how those two mesh together. How does the spiritual meet the physical world? Uh, and so there were glimpses there, which I appreciate. That was the, one of the other angles that that I enjoyed but uh just kind of wanting more and also just you know wanting more from the story itself and where this character goes and and what happens to this individual because i feel like the the movie does kind of languish in some territory for a bit and it doesn't necessarily i think conclude in a satisfactory way there's
1: i i wonder if this is an example of where you know quote unquote prestige horror could maybe benefit from being a little bit more willing to get a little uh, gnarly and a little bit more gory uh, uh, really going into the the genre conventions of horror because that angle that you mentioned, the the tension between the spirit and the body, and how especially with, Religious devotion—how that can take many forms. You, you think of—you see Maud in some scenes uh, abuse herself. She, she she, uh, has scars on her torso, presumably uh, from from self harm. There's a scene where she intentionally burns herself on a hot stove. There's other scenes where she sort of uh, does. Shall we say uncomfortable things to to her injuries, uh, that are you know they're they're a little bit stomach turning. You kind of sense that this is a version of the mortification of the flesh, right? The uh, the the monks who would scourge themselves to to purify themselves of of worldly or bodily desires, and you get a sense that maybe this movie is trying to say something about how when Maud takes a turn towards this rejection of the the flesh and uh, more into these mystical religious visions she's been having, that maybe she loses her way a little bit. I think that part of the problem is that she, the, the film doesn't really flesh those out. To, I mean, pardon the pun, but it doesn't really flesh those <laughs> elements out enough. There's... Uh, scenes where we get a little bit hints of of the sort of body horror that you might expect out of a Cronenberg film but they're very brief they're they're kind of flashes and then it's back to uh, these these quick flashes of religious visions that Maude is having and it's difficult to know how much the the movie really wants us to take such uh, religious experiences seriously does it does it intend for us to see mods uh self-inflicted injuries as uh, a spiritual uh experience for her or more just kind of this is a symptom of her disintegrating grasp on 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 reality and on who she is and what her role is it, it's a little bit unclear and that's probably because it, the film pulls its punches when maybe it should lean into that a little bit more and, you know, find the meaning in that suffering.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I, I definitely agree. And I think there's a lot here. And I think the production design is 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 pretty good. I like the gloomy house that Maude goes to to serve Amanda as she works for her. Oh, yeah. And it just, it, it feels... It feels like death has already come in a way, if that makes sense. So it's it's not this, oh, you know, she's she's just waiting to die. It's like it's kind of there hovering over her. And I think that's that's pretty effective, among some 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 other things. Um, but yeah, overall I think the movie could have used a little bit more. Listeners, that is our review of Saint Maud. It's currently streaming. If you have Amazon Prime, you can stream Saint Maud today. Make sure to let us know what you think at cBelief pod on Twitter at P O D. You can also email us seeing and believing CAPC at gmail.com. Kevin, we've reached the part of the show where we recommend something from the world of television and or film to our listeners. What would you like to recommend to our listeners today?
1: Well I was thinking about uh, other films where uh there's there's obsession involved and specifically obsession that if it isn't spiritual is at least mystical in some way. And uh, I also was thinking about this uh St Maud's use of you know uh a little bit of body horror some some uncomfortable physical imagery and that naturally led me towards Darren Aronofsky's debut feature of, in 1998 the film Pi this is a uh you know shoestring indie shot on black and white film stock uh just very striking really impre- just an incredibly impressive debut feature uh, from from Aronofsky here, but this is a movie about a mathematical genius who thinks he's discovered some sort of key in the digits of pi, you know, three point one four one five etc. That that allow him to kind of unlock the fabric of reality. He thinks he can maybe see the future or can understand reality on a level that most people can't, thanks to his understanding of this number. And of course, there's elements of of body horror in this film as well. He kind of, as the film goes on, he encounters um Jewish mystics who also want to understand what he's seen in Pi. He begins to lose his own grasp on reality. And this being Aronofsky, of course, there's just some absolutely stunning slash stomach turning sound design to really reflect this. It's, you know, it's a little rough around the edges, but it's still so striking. And I think would make a very compelling double feature with St. Maud if anyone has the the time to watch both back to back. So if any listeners have the, the time and the stomach for, for that exercise, I'd love to hear what that what that's like for them but uh, otherwise it'd be pretty fine on its own uh 1998's pie from Darren Aronofsky
0: I have yet to see it I want to see it but it also feels like one of those movies that I wouldn't like I would appreciate but not necessarily enjoy (laughs) so (laughs) that's I I haven't seen it yet I'll say this, you know, Requiem
1: for a Dream is pretty famously one of those movies that is just a great movie and you also never want to see it again after mm-hmm. you finish it. Uh, Pi isn't quite as hard of a sit as as that movie if that helps at all. Okay.
0: yeah, well, I need to I need to put I haven't I haven't seen Requiem for a Dream either because of that reason. It's like <laughs> you know you long work week, it's Friday night. you're like, let's pop in you know a movie about drugs and how it destroys people's <laughs> lives. Um
1: so yeah it's a, it's a tough sell. <laughs> Can't
0: well blame you. I I feel like Kevin so I'm I'm kind of changing this up a little bit. I like to change it up a bit and my recommendation segment is actually just kind of a mini review and you said tough sell. Zack Snyder has a new movie out called Army of the Dead and that's kind of a tough sell for me. But randomly, one night, I just decided to turn this on because I do like zombie pictures and it seemed like it could be kind of, you know, light. And I do have to say, this is not Snyder's worst film. Uh, this is not his his best film either. So, this is a story about a zombie outbreak in Las Vegas. The city is quarantined off and a crew comes together. Uh, the crew's led by Dave Batista. And they are attempting to break into a casino vault before the city is destroyed by a nuclear bomb. So it's got this really big story. As with most Snyder films, there are some pretty uh, thought-provoking and even beautiful images. But I don't know if Snyder has found a way yet to harness those to the credit of the story or to influence the story or to invoke anything more than a passing feeling uh, or any thematic ideas. It happens here. I don't really like what he does with classic music. He takes classic music. He puts them in a lot of different scenes and I just don't feel like he respects the songs. Um, And in the end, the movie is unsatisfying. I didn't have a good time. I figured I'd offer just a quick review in case our listeners were wondering. We're not going to have a chance to review it, um, but that is currently playing on Netflix. If individuals would like to check it out, me, I just really didn't have a fun time.
1: Well, I, I know that uh, you know film spotting every now and then, or at least uh, I, I'm a little bit behind on my listening. But I know there was a time when they had little mini segments where uh, Josh Larson would just offer his his thoughts uh, solo. On on a film that he'd seen, uh, whether or not he recommended it. So maybe we can make that a semi regular thing with with Wade, you know, uh, mini reviews with Wade or something on seeing and believing.
0: <laughs> well, I watched this movie, which is two and a half hours long. So I was like, I gotta, I gotta make up for it somehow, right? <laughs> like, why not just let our listeners know and. I feel like I, I didn't completely waste two and a half
1: hours. <laughs> oh man. I, I, I feel for you. I saw, I, you know, I was waffling on this one because yeah, I was, I don't like Zack Snyder. I don't need to belabor that people, uh, listeners already know that, but I was thinking, you know, like it hit dawn of the dead is widely re- regarded as Snyder's best movie. And he's returning to, you know, kind of a, a zombie movie, milieu for this one I thought okay well maybe I don't know maybe the, this one will be a little bit less annoying than than a lot of his other films and then I saw that runtime, I was like nope not <laughs> not worth it to me so mm-hmm. I, th- I I appreciate you taking one for the team on that one Wait, I guess I'll just <laughs> leave
0: it at that oh, don't go with your, your whims people if you're coming across a movie on Netflix you're like ah that doesn't look good I might just start it just don't do it uh, turn on something else <laughs> Well, listeners, that is our episode. Once again, you can tweet us at cbeliefpod on Twitter at seebeliefpod. You can also email us seeingandbelievingcapc at gmail.com. Thank you for checking out this week's episode. It's brought to you, as always, by ChristinPopCulture.com. Our producer is Jonathan Clawson, who every week helps us to search for the sacred on screen. I'm Wade Bearden. My co-host is Kevin McLinathan. And until next time, this is Seeing and Believing. We'll see you later. You have been listening to Seeing and Believing, an official production of the
1: Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes, and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com/network. Theme music by Alexander Osborne and Lindsay Miz, used under Creative Commons License 3.0.